What's up, people? Hello from Monrovia, and a lovely welcome to our final Writers Podcast series here on Talking Pod, brought to you by Talking Media and our dear friends from Sleepless in Monrovia. My name is Gerald Hudges, and I'll be your host for this episode. Over the last few weeks, we've, um, or I personally, have had the utmost pleasure of sitting with young changemakers who shared a part of themselves through poems, short stories, and articles that they've authored and published on Sleepless in Monrovia. And by the way, for those of you who are just listening, perhaps for the first time, Sleepless in Monrovia is a social justice blog that is dedicated to showcasing Liberia's literary creativity. Over the last few weeks, as I mentioned, we've been having amazing authors who've published articles, poems, and short stories. And so into this special edition, we'll be just throwing a recap on previous episodes. So to discuss today, I have with me Cyrene Williams. She's the co-founder of Talkipod and um, Loli Pigar, who works with Sleepless in Monrovia. Yo, hello and welcome to Talkipodo. Hi, Gerald. Hi, Loli. I know Cyrene has hosted this podcast so many times. Um, it's my first time interviewing her. Loli, this is your first time on, on Talkipod, right? Yes, it is. Well, Thank welcome you. to Talkipod. Yeah, great. So how have you been during this lockdown? You care sharing with us what's been happening in your lives? What new have you learned? What have you been up to? Um, everything's been good regardless. Um, I finished the semester from home and I'm currently doing some summer courses, trying to get ahead. Yeah, that's about it. I've pretty much been home most of the time, so it's been good. Sarine? Well, you know how there are different kinds of people during this lockdown? <laughs> the ones that are just complaining and the ones that are productive. I would like to say I've been productive 80% of the time. And it's been really good because the previous months leading up to the lockdown, I wasn't as actively, you know, just in my best productive state. So I'm kind of grateful for the lockdown in a way. But we've been in lockdown for about three months no, since March. So I think I'm ready to get out. I feel that. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're all ready to get out. Honestly, it hasn't really felt that bad in Liberia. I mean, fortunately for me, I've still been working. So I, I still go to work at least three times per week. Many people have not been adhering to the lockdown schedule. Initially, our first lockdown was 3 p.m. to 6 a.m. in the morning. And uh, now it's been shifted from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. So uh, there's a lot of room for flexibility. However, even at 6 p.m., you still see people in the streets. So, um, yeah, that's the thing, though. Does Liberia lockdown count? Like, it's not a lockdown competition, <laughs> but it doesn't count. If, if it were. <laughs> Have you taken part in any of the challenges? I, I know when this whole lockdown started, there were push-up challenges and all kinds of cooking challenges and so forth. Have you have any of you taken part in any of the challenges that are out there? I feel like Siri has. <laughs> yeah, I think I did the um, gospel music one. Uh-huh. Um, where you kind of post a template and then a tag a song, but the TikTok was like, I cannot for the life of me get involved with TikTok. It's just too much. It's too much. I, I feel the same. I'm I'm under thirty, but I haven't downloaded the app yet. Um, so please don't. You're too old for that. <laughs> I told you I'm under thirty. So <laughs> how about you, Loli? I actually downloaded 
but I haven't gotten the chance to actually do some of the stuff that I've been doing. But um, I don't think I'm participating in any challenges. I was just chilling, honestly. What? Like you were having fun, actually. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Everyone keeps saying, oh, I can't wait to get I'm like, yeah, bye, well, it's just me all the time, so... <laughs> So um, before we go into today's discussion, I also wanted to just uh, pick your thoughts on global news, specifically what's currently happening in the U.S. I don't know if any of you have followed, but it's been trending, the murder of George Floyd. The overall purpose for our podcast and just the collaboration with Sleepless in Monrovia was to highlight issues um, that are sometimes or most often overlooked in society. And just to reflect on what's currently happening in the U.S., I think is a long-standing issue. What do you think about the situation currently and how specifically it relates to us who are in Liberia? I am in Liberia. Sirene is in Morocco. Loli, where are you currently? Canada. Canada. How can we relate that to the continent? I mean, specifically Africa. That's one. And essentially, what can we do as Black people? Personally, um, I think the people are just tired, yeah. And in regards to racism and all of that stuff, we don't really talk about it back home. In Liberia, we're all basically king and queens and everyone respect each other. Mm -hmm. Um, But then when we come over here, it's like a shock, you know. I would say we should just like have conversations surrounding issues like these so that when we're over here, like it's not as hard to adjust, you know? I think for sure this is the time when we all need to use our voice and your voice could be your literal voice or your platforms, but staying silent right now is not the solution because this is a devastating situation. We all have relatives or friends over there in the U.S. and every year we see what they're being put through. It could be your own relative, but just by extension, these are our brothers and sisters. Obviously, we need to step up and take an active role along with them just to be more vocal and taking real actions. You know, we cannot be quiet until we see the actual change that we're seeking. There are two young Liberians a few days ago who stood up in front of the U.S. Embassy in Monrovia protesting when I read the post and I saw the video on on Instagram uh, there are two groups of people right there there was one group that was you know supporting what they were doing and there was another group of people who were like ah this is America let the people you know address their own issues but forgetting to know that when you're in America no one's going to ask you whether you you're from Liberia or you're you're just an African-American you know people just look at the color of your skin so it could be you it could be your brother, it could be, you know, your sister, anyone else. This association is very much real. That's why this problem even exists. Because people can easily, you know, disassociate themselves from the reality of other people's experiences because it's not actually happening to them directly. And that's why all of this is happening in the first place. So true. Sad times in our history. But we're here to talk about The past couple of weeks for me has been mind-blowing. It's been quite a learning experience having to interact um, with, you know, different young Liberians who are using 
their voices, their pens, to actually bring light to issues that are often overlooked in society. And so um, for today's recap, I would just like to go quickly through the seven topics that we just discussed over the last few weeks. We firstly had Behind the Ray-Ban, and Behind the Ray-Ban was written by Jay Hoff. Uh, the focus of his poem was on mental health. Uh, it was trying to draw how people struggle with depression and go about their daily lives pretending that everything is well. We had another poem written by Joshua and William. Interestingly, Joshua, for instance, is a lawyer. William is uh, William is an engineer, but they both have passion for writing and they collaborated on a poem titled Bow Not. And basically the poem was calling on librarians to be courageous and stand up for their rights. So the third one was uh, written by Biola and Joshua, and their poem was titled Her Story. Their poem was about creation in the eyes of a woman, and the goal of the poem was specifically to celebrate womanness. What's the highlight for you? I would say Behind the Raven stood up for me because this culture, misconception of mental health, the miseducation, you know, just how people perceive mental health in our society is very troublesome and has led to the wrong reactions. Instead of rendering help to people, instead of being more aware of the people around us, we've missed out on opportunities to help out our loved ones and friends around us. And I think with organizations like Mental Care, Liberia, initiatives like that are very much relevant at this time. How about you, Loli? The one that stood out to me was the Her Story one. Looking at everything from a woman's perspective. I mean, also, Beulah talked about motherhood. She kind of mentioned redefining the motherhood. Because in the grand settings, right, mothers are basically there to give birth, you know. We're not giving a lot of opportunities. Um, I, I love all seven. Baona was a poem calling on librarians to be courageous and stand up for their rights. It got me thinking quite lately over the last few months, I've been very vocal about national issues regarding politics and everything about national leadership. And I've had friends who've known me for, for some time call out on me and say, man, you know, just stop talking about politics. Politics is not for you. Stay in the civil society sector. I've had older people even cautioning me about it. But this poem actually got me reflecting on a conference I attended about a year ago in Ghana, and basically there's a lady who's into politics um, somewhere in East Africa, I think Uganda. And one of her statements that she made, I'll never forget. She said, if you think politics is not for young people, think about the number of decisions that are made by politicians that affect your life today and yeah. tomorrow, right? Many of us see things else in society and we feel that we should just keep quiet about it. Just like the issue of George Floyd uh, and many other, you know, black people's rights that have been violated in the U.S. And people feel maybe because it's not something that is directly affecting me, I shouldn't speak about it. Uh, but this particular poem sort of reawakens and reminds us that we must stand for our society to advance. We must stand against injustices, not just for ourselves, but for other people as well. What do you say to the young people who feel like the system isn't working? They are overpowered 
and cannot create change because they're not being allowed to. Their activism is being stifled. For example, you said people have been coming to you and telling you basically shut up. Mm-hmm. What do you say to people who've lost hope in creating change? I would say the key to keep pushing is your children. That's for me one of the biggest motivating factor. Uh, sometimes I ask myself whether or not I'm going to live in the Liberia that I've been advocating for all my life. You know, a Liberia where there's equitable access to quality education and a Liberia where women are protected, women and girls are protected um, and they're elevated, they're supported, they're given the opportunities to equally lead. And so when I think about my future son or my future future daughter i feel everything that i voice out today is aimed at preparing the way for them and i think that's the mindset we should all develop uh the change that we hope for you're listening to the writer's podcast series brought to you by talking media and sleepless in monrovia now the next one who said this was a great idea was written by an anonymous writer. He delved into the performance of President Wea, who is the current president of Liberia, and sort of the crippling impact that, you know, the current governance system is having on democracy. I work for the public sector, the Liberian public sector. And I feel like this piece was very much important. We may have made a very bad decision in the last election. (laughs) Maybe there's still hope, but I see how the system is feeling potential, how it's feeling progress. And hopefully we do better. Hopefully the course of things changes a little bit before the end of this term. But if not, this is going to cause us such a setback as a country. That is so true. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to see that um, our current leadership, like, they aren't doing what they're supposed to do. And it's having a negative impact on the country. In order for us to not repeat what we are experiencing currently, we will have to be sure that we put the right people in the seat. Our very first conversation on talking media it was about accountability and the political process but even before that there was something we were working on on accountability and democracy and stuff like that where we wanted to be sure that politicians are held accountable the right questions are being asked and we get the answers we want and the electorate understands this because we don't understand as electric the power that we hold. Yeah. Because some of these people just walk through and give the most nonchalant conversation um, and chance and people just go along and vote for them. Yeah. So, like the guy stated in the piece, nobody asked George we are anything. No. Yeah, he, he, so, the, like, he, he refused to attend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but what are you going to hold him accountable to? He knew exactly what he was doing. People were saying, oh, this other candidate doesn't understand the Liberal political system. What is the Liberal political system? How has it helped us in any way that we are proud enough to make that the precedent for future candidates? As you highlighted, uh, prior to the elections, one, one of the major initiatives we're hoping to launch was to um, sort of engage aspirants 
in a policy yeah. dialogue where young people can ask the right questions. But again, when you have a population, over 60% of our population is illiterate, you find it really difficult. And it is manifested through not only you know, the elections results, but also seeing what's happening on a daily basis and still feel like this has been the best leadership this country has ever had. Uh, it baffles me sometimes. So I've gotten to a point where I pretty much don't argue with people anymore because there's obviously certain people, um, I guess because of their political ties and so forth, they're very, very adamant uh, to change and they will tell you that you know this current government is the best government the best leadership we've ever had in fact uh, President Wea is going to go for 24 years anyways that was the conversation ideally um, who said this was a great idea moving up next we are not our mothers it was written by Zulika who's currently doing her PhD in the US and basically she wrote this piece pointing out generational differences in romantic relationship for Liberian women. So what was the highlight for you in this article? For me, it was about the traditional marriage and the church marriage. I did not know that the order mattered, right? Like, um, if you were to do your traditional wedding first, uh, customary law, mm -hmm. um, that's what's going to take precedence, right? Yeah. And yeah. I was like, wow, I did not know that. So I'm really grateful for um, Sim and talking for like giving us platforms like these where we can have these conversations and learn new things. My main um, point from it, you know, the one thing that I picked up is the realization that majority of Liberian fathers are not as involved in the upbringing of their children. Whether in homes, you know, where both parents are uh, present or not, there are not a lot of examples where we can look back and say that marriage, you know, with some of us who have um, evolved mentally and stuff like that, we cannot look back and say, okay, that marriage was goals. Mm -hmm. Because when you look at most of the situation, it is a case where the mother has to keep up to date with everything about the children. The father goes to work, come back home, eats his food, go listen to radio, hang out with his friends, and that's it. I think with the coming generations, we hope that Liberian men can become more involved mm -hmm. in the of family and not just the act of getting married. Yeah. Because all of this will create a better situation for communication, for building better values, for just commitment in general yeah there are two major highlights for me in this article the first one was just how having stepchildren has been normalized in our society and we fail to realize that it's had impact on upholding the value system of an ideal family uh, that was one of the major highlights for me and i feel um, that it's contributing to some of the societal challenges that we're faced with in our country. The second highlight for me um, was essentially how mothers will require their daughters or their sons to actually get married at an early age. Though the story is more tilted towards mothers who put pressure on their girls' children to actually find a man early and get married, yeah. but not really 
having that conversation in our homes. Not many families have the conversation about how difficult it is we've gone through as young people. Um, I used to say to myself, oh, I get married under 25 and I got to 21, 22. Um, yeah, that was that was my essentially my dream when I was a teenager. I was, you know, this very type of quote-unquote romantic person. And Bitch, you were annoying in high school. Like, you're that kind of boy. <laughs> Honestly, I wasn't. I was this sweet boy. I'm still sweet. <laughs> Essentially, my dream was, okay, my goal was at 21, I'll get my first degree, I'll have a job, and by 22, 23, I'll get married. And then you hit 21, 22, and you're like, gosh, you got into one or two relationships. Like, no, this is not for me. And you move on to the next. And I feel essentially... Um, I've never been so relieved since I crossed that 25 and I've been getting married. I've never felt this relief in my life. And I don't feel any sort of pressure, you know, to actually yeah. get married. And that's a really a relieving feeling because I feel like it's important for you to be able to really understand your partner and be able to compromise. When you get to that point where you can spend time together and understand your weaknesses and know how to work around it and you figure out that I can live with someone under the same roof okay. with this personality that is different from me, I think that's the time that I'm going to make that decision. And so the next one is I'm not bossy. I'm the boss and it was written by Shari. Shari is a co-founder of Sleepless in Monrovia and basically I sat with her uh, a few weeks ago, and we talked about um, her article. It was an opinion piece on the challenges and stereotypes that you know women face in professional spaces. She basically narrated her personal experience as a young female mechanical engineer working. The final one, Rainbow in the Dark, was written by Donard Bundo. It was a short story narrating the thoughts of a of a closet homosexual on his wedding day. Um, those are the two last episodes. Any one of them you want to highlight quickly? I think Shami and I had a conversation about that once, where um, whenever a woman is... Um, in a leadership role, he's always looked at as a bitch, basically. And it's crazy to me because when the role is reversed and it's the man that's in charge, everything seems normal, right? But then when the woman is there doing her job, exactly what the man would do if um, he were in her shoes, and then it's like, oh, okay, you're different. It all goes back to women not being hurt. Especially in our homes, we need to have these conversations about kids. Um, because from the time we swung, creating these gender roles based on the toys, that like the color of the clothes and whatnot. And these kids grow up, um, especially the girls, they grow up viewing themselves as the lesser gender. And they meet a girl who has more power than them, like it becomes a threat. So I think we need to have these conversations in our homes with our kids in order to make a change. Uh, Siren, do you want to highlight on the final one? This is my favorite piece of all time. Donut is an incredible writer, but I just feel like librarians need to understand themselves. I had a conversation with some close relatives asking, um, so why exactly are you against homosexuals? And they're like, 
you know, that's not just how we were raised. It's just something other than what they're used to, and that makes them uncomfortable. And because of that lack of understanding or education about what this is, they act completely irrational. And I feel like we, as young activists, young people who have platforms uh, like ours, we need to be great allies and speak up and help our brothers and sisters because it's not like if they ignore this community, they're just going to disappear. That's not going to happen. So we better get with the program. The statement that was made uh, regarding um, 99% of Librarian men are gay. Well, that's how I saw it, right? He was um, talking about 99% of the men that he knew. I think the message um, out of there should be that there are a lot of closeted gay men in Liberia. Um, we need to have the conversations around homosexuality and all of that stuff. Also, I think people overreacted, honestly. It was a bold move, a bold and brave um, move and statement from him. Uh, I don't think despite, it was. When I say a bold and brave statement, given that our society found... Okay big on this and coming up in public displaying your face with no um, yeah. fear yeah, of remorse is it takes courage and mm -hmm. in as much it was his statement was sarcastic i would say sarcastic again but equally so as you mentioned Cyrene, it's far from real in terms of statistics if you look if you should ideally look at the numbers our society has to understand that there are people who are like that and they must be accepted and embraced they are who they are so we cannot sort of expel them from society because of who they are but who they choose to sleep with. I know it's such a dangerous situation because when we had the conversation back in season one with Karishma, who's a transgender woman in Liberia, she chose not to use a photograph for the flyer we're doing and we respected that. But I think it's about time that Liberian people put a face to the name and understand that this could be anybody. Just people. We have the same experiences every day. So instead of alienating them and treating them like people from outer space or something like that, it's about time that we be faced with a reality. Yeah. I always tell people that like even though you don't agree with these people's lifestyle, respect it. You will not see anybody coming at you for having two, three girlfriends and ain't nobody can talk about nobody can talk about it. So how would you care about somebody's business in the bedroom? Like I don't get it. And Liberians are hypocrites. They're such hypocrites. They have the girlfriend's lineup, the boyfriend's lineup, the small children lineup, and they have the audacity to question somebody else's lifestyle. It could be your father, your mother, your brother, <laughs> or sister. Happy Pride Month, by the way. It's been an amazing conversation with you, Cyrene and Loli. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Like I said, it's been a great learning experience for me, just having an opportunity to sit with really bright and like-minded young people who are bold and brave to voice out and pen down their thoughts um, for equal society, a fair and just society. Uh, this is the type of people that we need to really make change. Um, to be able to experience the Liberia and the dream that we all hope to um, experience. So thank you so much for adding your voices to 
the many voices who came over the last few weeks to highlight these issues. Um, thank you so much. Thank you, Gerald. Thank you, Lily.